Jason, welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the podcast, my friend. Uh, hi. It's so good to see you. It is. Uh, wait, what? What? It's good to see you, but not good to see me? It's good to see you, too. Dude, Let's I fight. Am- Let's okay. fight about it right now. And that, friends, is how masculinity really <laughs> kind of goes over the goes over the top yeah. right there. No, I mean, I like I prefer not to fight. I prefer instead to battle dance. <laughs> I, I, this I, isn't the tiny town in Footloose, Jason. Well, masculinity is kind of like we're we're talking about masculinity today, people, and this is something that's big for me because if I had to like, like I often feel like I'm not much of a man. Oh, Jason! Like you go pee standing up, don't you? Well, it's like I, I'll, I, I do most of the time, except for at night. I sit down at oh, night. Oh, you have to sit down. I don't want to miss. I don't want to clean up. It, yeah, it's just you're just your legs are unsure. Yep. Just best to sit down. I yep. agree, hundred percent. And I like keeping the lights off because you turn the lights on, and then you can't see anything. Oh my god! So I leave the lights lights off, and just you know, I kind of back in and find my zone, and <laughs> and just you know. I no, I, I'm whiz. right there. I'm right there. I'm right there with you. <laughs> but no, like a lot of times, dude. Like I'll be having conversations with people at work or at church, and they'll get talking about different things. Like uh, I don't know. Like a lot of people that I work with and go to church with are, you know, they're big into cars. Are they big into like? outdoors like hunting and things like that and i'm not that's just not like up my alley so a lot of times they'll be having these conversations and it sounds like a lot of fun but then i'm just kind of like slowly backing out because there is nothing i have to contribute like that meme of like homer simpson yeah, homer backing, backing into, into the, the bush, bush. <laughs> which is hilarious but yeah that's how i feel a lot of times around a group of men uh you know unless we're talking music or guitars so like i do have my niche you know yeah but just in my in my everyday social circles, like I feel like I don't quite fit in. Hmm. That's that's so interesting to me because we're we're going to be talking about masculinity, obviously. Yeah. And with with a return guest, yeah, Jason, we had him on. He was on our rubbing out a porn episode. <laughs> yes, with Dan, the, the most controversial title to date, but one of our most popular episodes to date as well. Well, some may say it's in the title episode Thanks, twenty <laughs> episode twenty seven with Dan Taylor, pastor and comedian. He talked about porn with us, and today he's on talking about masculinity. And we wanted to have him on because in our interview with Hillary McBride. She mentioned a project that her and Dan and a few others were working on. The project's on hold at the moment, but the project was called Ladies Man. And it reminds me of that. Did you ever see that SNL skit with yes. Tim Meadows? There's a movie. Yeah, there's, there's a that's Ladies right. There's Man a movie. movie. That's the first thing I thought of. My too. name is Leon Phelps. <laughs> Would you like a bottle of Cavatier? <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Oh, goodness. But yeah, and she mentioned that project in her interview, and we're like, we got to have Dan on to talk about masculinity. Yeah, and here's the thing. We are not, we're not shy about having people back. No. I mean, we, we just did it with Sarah Fader. We did it with your dad, too. So, yep. you know what? Why not, give the, why not give the boy from Edmonton a chance? <laughs> the boy from Edmonton? I, I hate when other people call other people boys. Why? I don't know. We're not boys? He's not a, well, we're boys. You want me, okay? Why don't we call the man from Edmonton? Yeah, the man from Edmonton, Michael J. Fox. Oh, who's also from Edmonton? I just learned that about Edmonton. So, 
Anyway, guys, we can we can sit here and talk about Edmonton facts and their hockey team and how they kind of got close to that Stanley Cup, but Connor McDavid was up, but uh, they didn't. So anyway, guys, this is not your pastor's masculinity episode. All right, guys, we are here with Dan Taylor, my third favorite uh, Canadian. <laughs> who's, who's your top two? Well, my first one would probably be, obviously, Steve Eiserman. Okay. Right. And then my second one would probably be Don Cherry. <laughs> and then, you know, third one, Dan Taylor. Oh, you know what? No, I'm, I take that back. Number two is Hillary McBride. Sorry, Dan. Okay, four? I'm totally cool, cool with four. <laughs> Like if those are the three people ahead of me, like I can tell, like I could give you a list of Canadians that should be on the list further than me. But I mean, of ones that you have personal experience with, I think Steve Eiserman's pretty great. You know, you can't can't go wrong with Steve, and, and Don Cherry's Don Cherry, and yeah. Don Cherry's Don Cherry. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, I bought a bunch of his VHSs at a, at uh, the Salvation Army down here. Oh wow! It's just a compilation of just all of his, his favorite hockey moments. <laughs> Rock and sock him. Yeah, that was yeah. like. The- for like there was like 27 of them and actually there was a thing on steve moore uh who used to play for the flyers um he actually went on a twitter rant basically uh talking about how like the way he played and like the cte that he the concussions that he caused other people were like this is a result of like watching you know don cherry videos like this is like (laughs) Hardest hits, volume three. Yeah, well, he blamed kind of the the reckless nature of the way he played hockey on Don Cherry in the 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 Rock'em Sock'em videos. And I mean, it was an interesting thing because there was a lot of, you know, like if you watch those, knowing what we know now about headshots, it's sort of like watching some of the NFL film stuff, and it's just like, well, you, yeah, you did have guys like Derek Bugard who committed suicide. I can get really hockey on everybody. Maybe yeah. too well, much for our well, listeners. Well, so here's but, the thing. Jason actually wanted to talk a little hockey. You I, had, what well, was the I question did. you wanted to well, ask? Well, no, because we're talking about uh, masculinity today. Right. And so, like, yeah, Dan, where would you stand on fighting in hockey? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because didn't, didn't, doesn't Brandon Shanahan, former Red Wing, number 14, yeah. didn't, doesn't he want to get rid of it? Because oh, he's, he's the commissioner, isn't he? Or not the commissioner, no. but the sa- he's the safety czar. Yeah, NHL safety guy. Yeah. yeah. So this is my thing about fighting in hockey. I'm, I'm torn because the intention of if, – if getting, if getting fighting out of hockey was to make it genuinely safer for the players, then I think it would be good. The problem is it's gotten safer for the former goons. They're just not in the league anymore, which is you know probably for the best for the guys that were just there to fight. Yeah. But the league has gotten dirtier, and it's like so that's you know like th- that's worse is that we have now have like the Brad Marchands and the the Ryan Kesslers of the world running ragged where. You know, I'm, I'm enough of a Neanderthal to think that there was a, a thing that was held in check once upon a time before the instigator rule. But the way that fighting is now in the league, it can go away. That said, I'm a hypocrite because, like, when somebody does fight, I 
stand up. And Everybody cheer. stands. It's the next guy, you know. So I'm just so excited we're talking hockey on our show. It just it just reminds me of like all the people that say like we're look at how far we've come as like a society like. We don't we don't go to coliseums to watch you know men fight to the death. It's like ah oh, well, hockey's kind of like that. Hockey yeah. is kind of like that. It's yeah, like uh, my problem is like NHL and the NHL is uh, is like and I love hockey, but the NHL is a bush league and the officiating is terrible and the <laughs> <laughs> in terms of what things are supposed to be and you know and I know that I'm biased about terrible officiating as an Edmonton fan given the last playoffs, but you know it's just. You know, you have so many slashes on the hands that get away, you know, and 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 hitting from behind and all of these things that it's like this isn't supposed to be in the league anymore. And if a few fistfights would get rid of that, then that'd be great. But I don't know that they actually are. So yeah. I don't know. What I'm just I, like, I think you would fix football by getting rid of helmets. Like I played football for a long time. <laughs> there would be fewer head injuries if you got rid of helmets, believe it or not. Because nobody wants to get their melon kicked in, so let's yeah, let's I be a little bit that. more gingerly around the ball. <laughs> yeah. You would start using your head as a weapon, which is what a lot of these guys have been trained and taught to do, you know, and cheered on for, you know. So oh yeah, I just I, I don't you don't want another like Todd Bertuzzi situation, like that that in itself is scary enough, but it's yeah, and when one of these fights. One of them, somebody's going to die on the ice. Like, it's going to happen. I, in some ways, I'm surprised that it hasn't happened yet. I, that, um, it is pretty remarkable. Yeah. Um, other than that, like, it's really hard to get enough purchase to get a really hard punch in at somebody. Like, you got to be a really good fighter to get a really good punch in. You know? That's why, like... Like, have you guys seen the like the YouTube videos of basketball fights from back in the seventies? No. Oh yeah, Google those or like Google lacrosse fights because those are insane. Because like guys have hard purchase on the ground and can punch straight from their toes up through their fist, and that's really dangerous. Like you you throw a hard punch in a, on skates then you're more than likely going to fall down like you you're really punching more with just your arms and your shoulders and your core as opposed to really getting your legs in it unless you're one of the really good guys who are really good at it but um those those are few and far between but like when two but yeah like the one the Rudy Tomjanovich punch the like Kermit Washington Rudy Tomjanovich like that was in basketball and that was one of the craziest things i've ever seen he almost killed him yeah, so, that's nuts. Small town pastor. Uh, sorry that we did hockey talk for a while. As <laughs> <laughs> one of our listeners who's a baseball fan, but you know we're she in the messaged north. us and she's like, I don't get hockey. So, but anyway, sorry, small town pastor. But we are talking about masculinity. Jason, well, did you do your bench press today? Uh, actually, I did. Oh, you did? Because I started working out at Planet Fitness. Oh. Okay. Cool. You yeah. masculine jerk. I know it. There's There are parts of me that's really strong now that weren't <laughs> strong before. But, but I think that the hockey conversation is related, right? Because we are having a, 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 an uncomfortable relationship with some of the things, with, with, with violence, right? Yeah. And, and it used to be there were times when we said that 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 there was violence inherent in who we were as men, and this was a place where it could come out, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and now we're uncomfortable with the with the the, the ramifications of that because it is having long way longer term effects than we wanted it to have and and is this kind of aggressiveness something that we want to encourage in each other and in our in our young people you know so it, it, it the, the two things are not disconnected we haven't just been you know wasting everyone's time for the last couple of minutes <laughs> no well the, there's a big thing going on with american football right now where parents do not want their kids to play right uh, because you know they're starting to put hardcore numbers with uh, injuries in youth football yeah and parents are opting no our our kids our kid, we're not our, we're not going to subject our children to that i mean i will say this that competitive cheerleading still has more injuries than high school football does. Just, I'm gonna have just to see saying. some cold hard stats. Oh, on that. there's there's out they're out there. They're on the internet. So <laughs> yeah. I'm just I'm just saying you should not let your girls cheer because they could get hurt real bad. But anyway, yeah. man, I I just feel like this is this is a topic that I've I've kind of been hearing more and more about because we ha- we we're in this culture now where. I, more things are being discussed and more things are being kind of deconstructed, I guess you, you want to say. I feel like we're like our culture is going through like a huge deconstruction kind of uh, mode, I guess you could say. Like, I thought it was just limited to the church, but I don't it's not. No, I don't. I, th- I think everybody's in the process of talking about this. And and the what is the the and and. So we, what we're doing is we're, I think what's happening is we're identifying things that have been problems for a long time. Um, what I see are cold, hard numbers, which is that between one and five and one and four, so 20, you know, 20 to 25% of women will experience a sexual assault at some point in their lifetime. Like the first time that I heard that, that shocked me, you know, because it's just like, how is that happening? You know? And then we see, you know, the, the the we see lots of things in related to the, the you know people use the terms patriarchy and toxic masculinity and all of these things. But to me, what 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 it all boils down to is: is there room for all of us to function in this in this world and, and exist without damaging each other? And there is one percentage of the population that has done significant, like a, a one really big divide in that men are dangerous to women around them like that's a scary thing you know and so and and, uh, so when i was a social worker i started to 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 really wrestle with this because most of my clients were women who were dealing with the the child and family services system and the big negative factor was the men in their lives you know um either their absence you know, where they had, you know, been part of the, the bringing of children into the world and then were gone and were not providing in any way financially, or their presence was a negative, where they were there, but they weren't taking responsibility or they were being violent or they were causing a dangerous situation through their own addictions and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I was just confronted with this, like, what is going on in us as men that continues to cause damage to the women around us. And then I, I have a daughter and I have a wife and all of a sudden I'm hearing things that I had never thought of before, you know, or, or, or realized. And, and I think that conversations that women used to have without us in the room are being had with us able to hear it via social media. And 
as a man, I'm not liking what I'm hearing, but it's also just like, oh, wait a minute. I had no idea of the, the fear or the, you know, oppression or the, the discomfort that I was causing potentially or, or that was normal for the women in my life. And I think that, that a lot of us are just trying to come to terms with that. What does that mean for us? And, and, and how do we begin to change the, the conversation to the tide of these things, I think is kind of where I came to it from. It kind of, so what you, what you just said, it kind of, kind of confirms like uh, a thought that I had. And I, and I didn't, this thought didn't originate with me. Obviously I've heard lots of pastors talk about mm-hmm. this, but the, the idea that Adam, Adam back Genesis, sorry, Jason talking yeah. about Genesis again. Yeah, here we go. No, Continue. I will talk Genesis all day long. Um, the idea of the, the two extremes that men seem to find themselves in is extreme passivity or extreme aggressiveness. And, right. I th- and I think we see that with Adam. You see, you see it when he he's you know he just kind of idly sits by when Eve is eating the fruit and eating the the tr- eating from the fruit of uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But then also when God finally f- catches them, he blames everything on Eve. He's like, ah, it was all a woman's fault. Everything you know, the the woman that you gave me, God, it was all her fault. And so I kind of yeah. take that as being extremely abusive, but. It's kind of it's it's just really it's it's hard to figure that it's hard to kind of figure out what do we do next and how do we how do we correct that because this is this is generations worth of of men doing this being extremely passive and being or being um, extremely aggressive. I, I can think about in my own life specifically. Um, I don't know where my biological father is, right? But, but thank God. Uh, my mom remarried, and my my stepdad that I have, which I just call him dad because I, I've never known really another father. Mm-hmm. Like he he's a good man, so mm-hmm. I'm I'm lucky in that sense. I'm very blessed in that sense. But I know that not every every man gets that opportunity. And then so what I see is this is a generational problem mm-hmm. where dads aren't around, and then it just kind of produces this next generation of men to be even worse dads. And I, I just think it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. Yeah. And, and I think that, so I think there's a, a lot of debate and I don't have a really good handle on this. Is it worse than now than it has been? Or is it that we're noticing that it's broken where we just denied that it was broken beforehand? Right. So yeah, that's that. That's a good question. That's a good way to think about it. Because I feel and, and, yeah. Go sorry. And I don't. I don't have a really good answer for that. Um, I feel uh, like it's probably better in some ways and worse in others. Yeah, that's the cop out answer. The, the, and <laughs> and I think that that's wise. But I I think that that cop out is wise because wherever we end up at, this is where we are. So what women are telling us is that you know what, what the stats show is that. Is that women are being assaulted, being assaulted regularly? That domestic violence is one of the leading causes of, uh, of of death amongst women of a certain age. You know that um, in uh, that the most dangerous person in a woman's life are the men that she is closest to, um, and that you know what we're and even on the positive side and the development side when when you, if you go around the world and this is you know uh statistically and this is you know you can read the book half the sky or read any of the articles from the new york times where they're talking about it when women are educated and given the opportunity to develop and and build businesses and 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 operate with some 
level of uh, of uh, autonomy uh, and uh, and and the and and hope and expectation that they're that they're going to be able to receive the the benefits of their work. That's better for everyone. You know that that uh, you know the you know education increases, health gets better. You know places are safer, men get better. You know all of these things happen when when women are 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 empowered and uh, and emboldened. And so you know the the question is 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 what is preventing us from getting there? You know and 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 I think that you're right to you're quite right to go all the way back to Adam. Because when I when I see kind of the issue that we're in, like we get to that part where we see Adam's extreme passivity, you know, in, in that story where you know he has this double blame shift, where you know uh, Eve, get, he, he where uh, where God comes to Adam and says, "What what did you do?" And he says, "This woman that you put with me," you know, kind of being like, "I have nothing to do with this." Uh, and and I think it's really important for us as men and as we begin to talk about masculinity, as we begin to talk about the way that we relate to women and, and things like like patriarchy and power, that we recognize that our natural instinct as humans and as men is to shift blame to everyone else and to start from a place of this is not my fault. And I think the first shift that we need to make if we're going to if we're going to have a conversation about masculinity in a healthy way is to push against that instinct and say, okay, I'm going to own what I have to own, whatever that is. The reality is we don't know what that is yet for most of us, and that's okay. But let's move from a place of of shifting blame of like, well, you know, well, she wore that or she did this or she did that or this is the tradition that have been handed to me. And this is the way that the system is geared. And like, let's. Let's avoid that impulse that we have to blame shift and just say, okay, I'm going to own my own actions. And then I have not, you know, and for those of us who are followers of Jesus, I have not loved my neighbor as myself, as my neighbor happens to be a woman, be that the woman that I'm born to, be that the woman that I'm, you know, that I'm married to, be that the woman that I'm, you know, live next to or just work with. And uh, I, I think that that's a great place for us to start is that. All of us have kind of failed in that way to some degree or the other. Yeah, I think I think too. Our culture is and is still a lot in that awareness phase. Like, like you, you you say those stats, you know, as we started the conversation, and and they're kind of shocking. And it, it'd be easy for somebody to be passive about hearing those. Like, ah, that re- really doesn't happen. Mm. You know, I maybe I don't trust the media, and that's that's like the way that I thought for for years, you know, and we had my wife on and she's a feminist and we had a, a feminist month and and explored that a bit. Um, but it's when she started playing roller derby and I got to know some of her teammates more and hear their stories mm-hmm. that changed my mind. It's like, holy crap, this is real. I mean, like, for, for instance, my wife, you know, she went grocery shopping and she's driving home from the grocery store and this car with two young males pulls up next to her and they catcall her. Mm-hmm. And she, you know, promptly responds with the middle finger. <laughs> and yeah. and um, the next thing that, you know, she's they're screaming at her, calling her a bitch. And then they yeah. tried to force her off the road with my children in the back. Wow. And like, why? Because she didn't want to be catcalled. You know, there yeah. was another girl on her team who was uh, who was chased uh, 
um, after she got the same thing in the car, kind of got catcalled and yeah, they tried to force her off the road too. And, you know, different guys and were throwing things at her um, while she was driving her car. And uh, man, I could, I could keep going with these. It's just a little stuff that just bugs, bugs the crap at me. It's one of her teammates who, you know, a guy tried to hit on her at the gym and she said, uh, no. And then he followed her home. Yeah. Like why? Or, yeah. <laughs> That's just so. Isn't that like, but these are like when I when for me, what happens is when I connect real people with real stories, uh, then I start to see those numbers. Like maybe those numbers, maybe they're not fraudulent. Maybe those numbers are accurate. Yeah. Because well, I, I would consider that, you know, like I wouldn't want to live in those conditions. I wouldn't want to live not knowing. Like my wife's uncomfortable to go to the grocery store late at night. Right. Uh, you know, if she gets approached, she can easily be overpowered in a parking lot. Yeah. If there, especially if there's more than one male. That's something I never have to think about. Like I don't think about that when I There I'm, was one time, so this is really weird because I I've I've never experienced any of that stuff before, but like there was this one time I was standing on a table and I was fixing something at my shop, so I had to stand on the table because I couldn't get a ladder, and I, so I, I broke the rules. Sorry, OSHA. I stood on the table to fix a light or something, and I heard the girls at my shop talking about it, like, ooh, you missed it. Alex was standing up on the table, and like we didn't know if we were supposed to throw money at him, and I was like, I don't want to sound like super sensitive, but I was like, this is really weird, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. holy crap. This is what women go through sometimes when they get like legit cat calls from just pigs. Yeah. And so that was kind of like a light bulb moment for me. Like I, I didn't think- I didn't like it and I know they were joking. Like that's the thing. Like I knew they were joking. They're, you know, they're married. They're married women that I knew I just I didn't think anything of it really, but then I, you know, after I kind of went back and revisited it, the memory, I was kind of like, "Huh." Yeah, but imagine if you would have heard that responded negatively to it and then they chased you. And right, like exactly. Twice that's your why, size and stronger. That's why I'm like, saying, like, I experienced it at a very small level and felt a little uncomfortable. I couldn't yeah. imagine what what your wife has gone through, what my wife has gone through. She's been catcalled before, and thank God I wasn't there with my concealed carry pistol. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that's and a thing in the U.S. No, <laughs> totally. And and I mean, my my daughter's 12, and she just told me a story about like. She's already at 12 is already like, well, there's a creepy guy at the park that if he's there, then we leave, you know, and the guy doesn't do anything other than just stare at them on the swings. Right. But it's just yeah. like and, and I and I think that I, I think what happened is this as like and like so let's just acknowledge we're all heterosexual cisgendered white males. In the midst of our privilege, we just don't hear a lot of these stories. I've never walked in, you know, I've, ne- I've never had been afraid walking down the street ever in my life. It's just never been a thing that's concerned me. Um, but we're, we're hearing, all of a sudden hearing things that we didn't know happened. But part of the issue is that is that these guys that are going to the gym and they're following someone home, or they're two guys in a, in a two teenage guys in a car, they're not that far from us. They're our brothers and our cousins. And I remember, and, and as I recall, I remember being, as I started to hear like, more talking about catcalling, I was like, oh, wait a minute. 
I remember driving a truck through Charlottetown, Prince of Rhode Island when I was like 16 years old and having my friends yell out the window at people, right? And I never would have thought of it that way, but it's like, oh, that's really uncomfortable for someone, you know? And, and, you know, so all of these ways that we've participated in something or allowed it or, oh, like, we're part of this culture. And I think we're just beginning thankfully to social media and some of us just like opening our ears for the first time, we're beginning to hear this. And in some ways it's like over the last few years, uh, white people have begun to hurt hear the conversation, the conversation about police brutality in the African American community. Um, this is something that they've been talking about for years and we've just never had ears to hear it before, you know? And I think that this is a, these are conversations that women have been having for years and for decades and they've just put up with it. You know, I think my mom's 70, and if you wanted to talk to her about catcalling, she wouldn't use that word necessarily, but she'd be just, or, or if she did, she would just be like, well, that's the way that it is, you know? Like, she would never, she wouldn't realize that there was a problem until it got out of hand, you know? So, I, I think it's important for us to, to acknowledge our ignorance, acknowledge our culpability, and then start to have the question, the conversation as men about where do we go from here? Because we, it's our problem. We're going to have to fix it. Yeah. I, yeah, I definitely think so. But how about we take a quick break and we'll be right back with Dan Taylor. Do you guys have commercials now? Oh, we have, we have, we have corporate overlords now. <laughs> no, we oh, really? No. <laughs> hey, Timmy. Good to see you again. Jeez, mister, where did you come from? Never mind that. Did you do what I asked you to do? Yeah, I left a five-star review on all my favorite podcasts. Very good. Very good indeed. You are certainly becoming a great American citizen. Wait, what? Timmy, leaving a five-star review is just the beginning. It is? Why, of course. Just leaving one five-star review isn't going to make a podcast famous overnight. Oh... You need a lot of five-star reviews in order to make podcasters' dreams come true. What else can I do to help? Steal smartphones. Jump in cheap willikers. Timmy, calm down. It's only temporary. Isn't that illegal? Only if you get caught. Anyways, by stealing someone's smartphone, you can access their podcast app and leave a five-star review using their account. Gee, mister, that sounds dishonest. Well, Timmy, if you want to help your favorite podcasts... You gotta do whatever it takes, right? I guess. That settles it. You run along and start stealing those smartphones like a good little boy. Okay. That's the spirit. You're making your country and your family proud. Leave a five-star review today. It's the American thing to do. All right, we're back with Dan Taylor, pastor and comedian. You can be both. It's allowed. Dan, have you... Okay. So you're you're a pastor and a comedian. When you're te- when you're doing a sermon, you are you like I'm sure you include jokes in on your sermon, right? Yeah, I'm not a funny preacher. Oh. Like I'm not, yeah, so like I'm not super funny. Like I think I like I'll add what's so like I'll do things that I think are funny. Um like where I'll just like reference a, you know, 90s hip hop lyrics and uh and no one laughs. laughs. I was just gonna ask, like, what do you do when you make a joke but there's no response to it? Do you just, you just like 
you just push on. Like <laughs> my wife knows enough of my cadence to to even if she doesn't necessarily get the joke, she understands that a joke has been made, and she'll just like smile and nod at me and get me to move on. <laughs> Sometimes if it's a really good joke that they'll miss, I'll, that they missed, I'll explain it to them. Be like, actually, that was referring <laughs> to the 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 notorious big puff daddy song mo money mo problems <laughs> they talk about how if you have more money you have more problems <laughs> like I, might, I might do something like that i have a friend who apparently does punch up for some big church pastors in the states like he'll write jokes into their sermons really yeah what? And I guess he says he gets decent money from it, but I'm just like, that sounds like the most soul-killing thing that I could have. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> oh, man. I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah, I know it. Yeah, to write jokes for a suburban megachurch pastor. <laughs> like, I'm like, oh, why don't I just... Yeah. Uh, There's got to be a, a fork that I can stab in my eye somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, Suburban megachurches, man. Some of them have more money than they know what to do with. Yeah, yeah. One would say that maybe they should use that to spread the gospel. But hey, jokes oh. are important. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe people might find Jesus through that joke. You don't know. Maybe. You don't know, Dan. You don't know. Yeah, I'm not writing the jokes, yeah. so I don't know how gospel-based these jokes are. So yeah. I don't know. I. Uh, yeah, I'm just gonna shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? But I don't, maybe I'll be a suburban megachurch pastor one day, and I'll be like, "Look, guys, you don't understand how good the money is now." <laughs> <laughs> we, we have you back on the show as a joke. Right? Start making these bad clip art jokes on your PowerPoint, oh, people. No. <laughs> Gosh, that wasn't like a early ninety or late nineties reference. I don't know what is. Yeah. Oh. Oh man! Clip still... art, PowerPoint, what? It's it's gifts now. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, I've heard of dudes incorporating gifts into their sermons, and I'm like, really, really, oh really? My. Okay. I mean, I've sat through many sermons with their, you know, three point application written in Comic Sans, <laughs> which is funny enough to me, anyway. <laughs> you ever sit through that? No, I usually get up and leave by oh. that point. All right, he's getting out the overhead projector. I'm out. Uh, oh, man, if it was still an overhead projector, I'd be down. Like a real <laughs> overhead projector? Sweet. I've always wanted one of those because you can, like, draw on that. Like, it'd be like, this is my point, and then I could, like, write it. Then I could draw maybe a penis or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Not, God made him. Uh, well, God made him. <laughs> The closest I've ever come to, I've always had this fear that I'm just going to randomly swear in the middle of a sermon. Yeah. That I'm just going to be like, that I'll like, because I don't, normally I'm very in control of my language, but th that I'll just be like, I'll just throw it in as like some sort of adjective that'll be like, Noah and the F, so is building the F and Ark, you know, and I'll be like, <laughs> I just, like I'd probably get away with it, but like. The, clo the closest I've come to it, and we can talk about this a little bit later, because I just preached on, on, uh, Ephesians five twenty two, which is wives submit to, which is incorrectly translated in most English Bibles as wives wives submit to your husbands and everything is to the Lord, and um, and like and I did the Greek study of that verse and like there's no verb in that verse, hmm. 
the word submit is not is so the sentence goes as close as you can get to because Ephesians is basically a run-on sentence is submit to one another in everything wives to their husbands as to the Lord and it's just like how many of your Bibles when they're printed separate that into its own section yeah that 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 put the paragraph division in between 521 and 522 when 522 doesn't even have a verb like there's no the word submit is not in there so i i i almost said i was so this was the first time i'd never seen it before because i had done an in-depth kind of greek study of it and i was just like and and i almost said it doesn't even have a damn verb Oh man, you you talking about that verse that was read at our uh it wasn't read at our wedding, but our the the minister who did our our wedding service, uh my wife wanted that taken out and he almost did not do our wedding. And this was like night before. This was like rehearsals. Really? Yeah. She cause she was pointing out to him like it says submit to one another and why do, do I have to submit to him but he doesn't have to submit to me? When it says right before it, submit to one another. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think we'll get to that, but it's mutual submission. And then like there's, it works. It's a, it's a both ways submission. Yeah. And yeah, that's where I'm at. Yeah. yeah. And that's what she understood. And that's what I understood, but she didn't want it read the way he had wrote, written it down at yeah. our wedding. And he, he almost did not marry us. Well, and that's the bad hermeneutics that I was talking about earlier. Yeah. You know, like, I don't know if that if we were talking about that in our pre thing or not, but like, that's the bad hermeneutics is that our, especially within the church, some of our approach to women has come about because we've misunderstood the Bible and specifically that passage, because that passage is talking about mutual submission and, and sacrificial love. And 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 men being and and husbands being the initiators of reconciliation with their wives, and and at no point do you get this idea of this kind of patriarchal hierarchical relationship um, from that passage. Like, if you want to use the Bible to support patriarchy and hierarchy within the church, I think that we have to wrestle with First Timothy too, and I think that there's ways that we can do that, but. Um, and, and we, you know, and there's people and we have women in leadership in my church, but you know, I, I understand how, but if you're trying to use, uh, Ephesians five for that, then you're reading the text wrong. Um, and, and that's something that we really need to wrestle with as a church. And, and, and I, and that goes for, to the translation of it and the, the presentation of it as well. Like, because if, I mean, we're relying on this Geneva, the verses didn't come into the Bible until, uh, the Geneva Bible in 1590. You know, but we're all translating it using that standard, and and 522 separated from 521 does not make any kind of linguistic, grammatical, or 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 or, or hermeneutical sense, and yet it gets pulled out as its own separate thing in order to prop up uh, a really dysfunctional a, a really dysfunctional worldview that I believe that that's why I said, and you can go to you can go to uh, online and find this sermon on our my church's Facebook group where I say I think that that's the verse that has caused more suffering in the world than any other verse. You know. Yeah, uh, I know our pastor who you know suburban mega pastor that you probably write jokes for or your friend does. 
Yeah. <laughs> but he he pointed that out to to me where exactly what you're saying now several years ago and I was like, "Holy crap." <laughs> like it's it's a well, especially the environment that I came from, it was a game changer. Yeah, and and I have friends that still have uh, believe in, you know, male-only elders and and only male pastors and and I can sort of get where they come from. So I'm not trying to bat cuz I believe that you can hold that and not have a a it's I believe that I believe the human beings are weird and I think that you can have that and not be a chauvinist asshole, you know, I, 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 you know, and, and still believe in the, the gifting of women and the empowerment of women and still come from that place with your interpretation of first Timothy too. But, you know, I, I'm that verse in and of itself has led really to a, a damage of marriage relationships. Um, that is, that is dangerous. And it's put some women in some dangerous positions where they've endured abuse, both physical, emotional, spiritual, because, some guy was pointing to Ephesians 5.22 saying, well, you, you got to submit. And it's like, no, that's bullshit. You don't, if you're, that kind of submission that you're talking about prevents you from being the Ezer Ko-Neged that's talked about in Genesis, right? So uh, in Genesis, when God says it's not good for the human to be alone, uh, he says, I, I will make an Ezer Ko-Neged for him. Uh, 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 we translate that as helpmate or helpmeet. But that is a, uh, a that really doesn't convey anything close to it. So the word is is in Hebrew it's like opposite. It's a word construct. So azer is like neged is opposite, and and it is used to 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 elsewhere in the Old Testament to describe help. But it's only ever used in the context of military reinforcements. So if God's cure for the the for Adam's aloneness was to give him military reinforcements. That kind of, of, of wifely, just put your head down and do whatever thing I say because I'm the man, that prevents you from, that prevents a, a true helping, right? Yeah. And, and so if, if, and so shifting to, so if we're talking about husbands and wives, they need to relate to each other where, where, where the wife has the ability to say like, no, you're wrong about this. We shouldn't spend all of our money on, on, Guns. you know. Guns and cereal, you know, like yeah, you Guns know, we should go into massive, yeah, you know, we should go into massive amounts of credit card debt so that sounds we can like a Friday it. night at the Ryman house. <laughs> I, th- that does sound like a blast. I got to be into it, um, but you know what? You know what I mean? Where it's just like there has to be some sort of pushback and give and take if we're truly going to like opposite each other in the way that God intended that that intimate relationship to work, but. What when we just have this separated out wives submit to your husbands? It's a perversion of God's intention that ultimately damages both of us. I think I've I've even heard stories of of men citing that verse to other women, like, "No, you're supposed to do what I'm telling you to do because I'm the man." Right. Yeah. And it's like, no, 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 no. Like that, that's not talking about men in general. That it, it's talking about husbands and wives submitting to one another uh, out of reverence for Christ. Like that's it. It, it doesn't give. Like, there would be, I would have to get Matthew 18 church discipline if all of a sudden, like, when my daughter grows up and a man came up to her and told her what to do during the church service and he didn't have any authority to do that because yeah. I'd, I'd knock him out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. no, no. That, that's not yeah. his place. And I would, I would knock him out in love. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I love you. Yeah. 
Well, but this becomes okay. So, but and and I and I think that you're completely right on this. But this shifts into another conversation about masculine. The other conversation about masculinity is like, how do we relate to one another as men? Because you said something really interesting there. That like, if this man stepped out of line that egregiously, you would physically confront him, right? And I and we all joke about that as if that's a, that's a really bad thing. Is it? You know, because I don't know that the fact that we've all bought into this idea that there should be no physical consequences for any of our actions has really made us better as men. And this goes back to the beginning of our hockey conversation. I was just going to say the same thing. (laughs) Yeah, it totally does. It goes back to our hockey conversation. They got rid of fighting. They're getting rid of fighting in hockey. And what's happened is we've got the so we've got rid of real aggression and we're having a spate of uh, of 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 chippy violence that is ultimately as damaging to the game, but it's not as obvious. And amongst men, we, we probably don't brawl as much as we used to. We're still as dangerous to women as, as we ever were. Yeah, um, yeah. Perhaps more so. I don't know the stats on that. But, but we're not as physically confrontational with each other. What we do have are internet trolls. Hmm. Oh, right? Yeah, that's a good point. So is that a better place to be in that we're not physically like we don't we no longer so we get rid of all of the bullies right we get rid of all of the physical bullies and all of the physical bu- and now the 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 internet troll is king right is that a better version of masculinity like i don't think that that's necessarily where we want to get to either you know when we start to talk about you know uh, correctives that that our culture has made yeah. I remember reading a really good article, uh, the website, I'm sure a lot of people have heard of it, the Art of Manliness website. Yep. And the article was like the, this, the importance of roughhousing. Yeah. And talking about like especially especially uh, little boys, like yeah. they need to roughhouse because it, it, one, it helps get out their aggression, but also two, it helps them f- problem solve. Like, okay, how can I defeat this, <laughs> this person that's bigger than me? Oh, I've got a story to go with this. So... I think that's probably that's all I remember. Uh, so I used to do a lot of like uh, children's ministry inside the city of Flint. And there was there was boys I knew. Like, I think I've said this on the podcast before. I think out of the 40 kids that I used to have on my at my kids program on a weekly basis, I met two dads. Right. And some of the boys were extremely aggressive, especially when we got to game time where I was I had to sit them aside and say, you can't play the game because you, you can't play nicely. Mm-hmm. And I was I, and the only reason why I did that is because I was in fear of them hurting the littler kids or even some of the women or not the women, but the girls that were there. Yeah. So. And it's, yeah, and it's a de- I think I definitely think it's a direct uh, correlation with no dad present. No, no way for them to check their aggression or anything like that. I, I think that that's a big, a big thing that we need to come to terms with. Testosterone exists. Right. Yeah. And. One of the things that testosterone does biologically in our bodies is it is it does produce aggression, you know, um, and and that 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 can be the, that aggression isn't necessarily always negative, you know. We can turn aggression into positive direction and make it um, uh, may and make it work for us. So I think we need to go back though because we we still haven't defined our terms, and we were talking about that as something that we wanted to at least try and do. Yeah. So. 
Yeah, if we wanted to try and, and do that, like, what are the terms that you guys feel like we need to define in this conversation? Yeah, what is toxic masculinity? Okay, so the way that I would approach it is this, and I am not a person who coins the term, but, like, let's, let's try and, before we get there, we all know what toxic means, right? So what does masculinity mean? That's a non-rhetorical question I'm asking. <laughs> uh, I'm going to cut that long pause out when I edit this, so we'll sound super smart and right with it. You know, I, I guess I kind of have an idea of what I think the world thinks it means because there's certain there's certain things that our society would say is masculine, like like for me, like I grew up. I grew up out in the country, and so like a, a lot of people would like look at the fact that I grew up in the country. We hunted, we shot guns. I played a lot of paintball growing up, so like people would like look at those characteristics about my life and say, "Well, those are pretty pretty masculine." Right. I'd so, call you a manly dude. I, I don't know. Maybe sure. We'll, we'll we'll wait and see at the end of this podcast if you still think that about me. Yeah, I mean, I would. How would I define masculinity? Um, probably being a good leader to your your your, uh, your wife and your kids, um, being there and being able to listen without expressing an over amount of anger. I don't know if that makes any sense or not. I th- well, it, I th- it's really hard for me to define that term. It's kind of like one of those words. Yeah. It's like, yeah, everybody knows what that means, right? Let's just move on. Well, and that's the problem, okay? Because right, yeah. I think that we're already trying to 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 prescribe to that thing to to that word things that are not necessarily in it. And so I would like I would just let's just give the word masculine do the dictionary de- definition of masculinity, which is just characteristics associated with being a man, right? Mm-hmm. So, and let's just assume for now that the gender man exists. Okay, like let's uh, so if we're if we believe that gender and sexuality, I'm not, uh, Hillary would be so much smarter about me than this. But like, I'm just going to assume that that we're saying that 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 people with penises currently or believe that they ought to have penises are are in the masculine boat. Let's just say that for now. Okay. Okay. Um, so the toxic version of that is a things to do with being a man that that destroys us. Right. All of us, not just us as men, but all of us. Right. So to me, that's how I would define toxic masculinity. And the reason why I would define it that way is because it's really hard to argue that such a thing doesn't exist. Right. Um, We can argue about what the what behaviors are part of toxic masculinity or not part of toxic masculinity. But if we have a group of people that want to say that there's no such thing as toxic masculinity, that's simply foolish. Um, there's, you know, you can have toxic, there's toxic femininity as well, right? There's toxic, um, right wing political, political ideology. There's toxic left wing political ideology. It's, it's, it's a perversion of the thing that, that turns it into a destructive force rather than a, a building force. Does that make sense? That's kind of the way mm-hmm. I use it. Yeah. Yeah. So. And, Almost and the, like taking know, things, yeah, like just like you said, like taking things to an extreme to where it becomes harmful. Right. And the reason why that's helpful for me is because what toxic masculinity, the term does, is becomes a grab bag for a lot of things that, that uh, we used to not necessarily lump together in the same group, right? So um, 
we all think that 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 hyper regression, you know, like the guy that 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 is always looking to fight, right? That that can't that responds to every 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 that one is super offended all the time and then responds to every slight with hyper regression, right? So we could say that hyper regression is is a part of a toxic masculinity, right? Okay. Does that make sense? Um, uh, people that are overly so that are overly focused on physical appearance, uh, either being very big or very fit, both in men and in women, like having disrespect for people whose muscles aren't large enough, right? We can throw that into the grab bag or who are, you know, not fitting their version of the feminine ideal. We can throw that into the grab bag of hyper masculinity, the desire to control and to, uh, to not lead, but to, but to, but to exert control over another human being and to, to push their own ego up by shoving other people down. We can throw those behaviors into the, into the, into the toxic masculinity stew, right? Because I think that we might have separated out those behaviors as something else before, but I think that what's important for us to do as men is to recognize that some of those behaviors, including our addiction to pornography and our, and our, um, uh, and, and the cat calling and the bullying of women and the expectations that we place on them all is a perversion of these characteristics that men ought to have. Uh, are we in the same spot, do you think? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah, okay. So that's kind of how I would define toxic masculinity. Now, where I would differ, differ from some people is I think that there's some people who use the term, and I don't know if they're educated or not, or but you see it on Twitter where they would define anything that is masculine as toxic, right? So any, so, you know, going out and shooting guns is, is inherently toxic or, or, or the kind of aggressions that we get aggression that we talk about with the positive aggression of roughhousing and, 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 uh, and sports and all of those things are, are inherently toxic. I don't believe that. I think that if there is a toxic masculinity, there's gotta be a version of masculinity that is, that is healthy and whole and and life-giving both for men and for all of the people around us um so that that's where i would say does that help us get more comfortable with the terminology do you think yeah yeah i, I think so i'm kind of curious as to what like uh true masculinity is now like right. would it be you know keeping your emotions in check well is that I'm, simple enough or is it still well, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Bible guy, right? So this is my oh, natural. Great. He's a Bible best. guy. Oh, I, I know, I know. Some I'm, verses. Training everybody. So we go back to Genesis, and what were human beings placed on the earth to do? Oh, Take God. care of it. Yeah. So and we haven't the, the, the this uh, Genesis one twenty seven, right? Be fruitful and increase in number. So, and this is. Uh, Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea or have dominion over, shepherd, the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves in the ground. So there's this, and, and this is echoed in, in chapter two as well, where, where you know, Adam and Eve are told to, to, to name things and to, you know, and to, to, uh, to, to, to take care of everything. So there's this instinct in what I believe in masculine, what I believe is masculinity, and I, and women are have this in them as well, but I think it comes out in a different way. But there's an instinct 
that when all of our aggression and our and our uh, desire to take things apart and put them back together in again, and and our desire to uh, to connect with other people, you know, all of that comes out as a desire to build and and protect. Those are part and parcel to me of what true masculinity is. Those instincts that we have to build things, right? Mm -hmm. To make order, make order out of chaos, and and to to protect ourselves and the people around us, right? And and hopefully the things around us. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. I'm taking notes. Keep going. Yeah, go ahead, Dan. Sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just I was just thinking about the the fact that you know you know. I would, I would, I would claim to be a Bible guy too, at least to some level. Um, but like you look through all, all the Bible and you see that what, when God calls somebody a man, like a faith, like you even look at, uh, the, you know, the hall of faith, we call it in, you know, Hebrews 11, like yeah. these, these are, these are the guys and also, uh, Rahab. So hi Rahab. Um, these and are the guy, well, well, go ahead. I was just going to say Sarah's in there as well. Oh, dang it. I forgot her too. Dang it. All right. Cut this out, Jason. I don't want to look like an idiot. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm leaving it totally. All right. Um, the, the, the way God describes men and who men are and what he, what he calls a man, I don't think relies solely based on what a man does for his hobby. Like, I don't see, you don't see that anywhere. Like, oh, oh, oh. We keep going back to the gun, the gun issue, because just, yeah. just because it's it's something that our society really does determine as something masculine. Um, yeah. Jesus never shot a gun. No. So is, is Jesus not a man? Well, yeah. well, we know he's a man. So, so that's one of the things I wrote about in my blog that uh, we we posted. I don't know if we posted it this week or we'll post it next week, but. The way I the way I view masculinity and what makes a man is is by his relationships mm-hmm. and, and how he interacts with with others. And I, I broke it down into three categories specifically how he well, four, actually, but breaking it down specifically into four categories is how does he treat others? How does he treat children? How does he treat women? And how does he treat God? Mm-hmm. And if. And that's how we should. That's how we should start determining masculinity and how we should determine what makes a man. Because everything else up to this point has failed. Mm-hmm. When we when we take things out of that sphere, when we take when we, and it's just so it's just so silly to me because men will not be remembered. Like, yeah, I'll probably like my my grandfather is going to be remembered generations from now because he was into hunting. Like, he's going to be remembered as being a generous man because that quality sticks out way farther than what his hobbies were. Yeah, and and that's why I always go back to the question. This is for all humans, but particularly, but particularly men. You know, what are you building and what are you protecting? You know, or what are you taking care of? Perhaps let's avoid the word. You not use the word protect and instead take care of. What are you? What are you building and what are you shepherding? Because those instincts are in us, right? If you get, uh, you know, I see in my son, he wants to he wants to get Legos and start building things. You know. He wants to start take things apart and put them back together. He wants to understand how the world works. He wants to to look after it, and he also kind of wants to say these things are mine. You know, I'm going to protect them from you know his little brother taking them, or I'm going to protect them from. So those instincts are things that can be turned in a positive way. Those instincts can also get turned in a negative way really quickly, where we have the desire to rather than build and protect, we take and destroy. 
right? So, mm. so rather than building other people up or building, uh, you know, families and structures and businesses and all these things that we all humans do, rather than create and, and having those positive relationships, we start to, 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 to take things from other people and tear them down. We start to, to take to feed our own ego. We start to take to, to, uh, to, to draw th- to, uh, to, um, to define who we are. And, and in so doing, we destroy the things around us. And to me, that's the measure of a human, but also the measure of a man. You know, like you talk, when you talk about your grandfather, your grandfather is going to be remembered for his generosity, but, but, but at its most basic, what did he build and who did he take care of? You know, and that's part of that generosity, right? Is that his, you know, and I think of my dad the same way. My dad drew the circle of who he ought to take care of very, very broad, you know, broader than my mom would have liked it to be sometimes, you know? So right. he, he fixed a lot of people's cars for free that he, you know, had no right to. But that was part of his thing where it's like, I'm going to put the world back together literally by fixing cars and I'm going to take care of these people who need to get places and they can't, you know? And, and, and we see how that becomes. So, so we see, you know, the, the, when, in our relationships with women, you know, in our relationships with children or relationships with others, I think a, a fallback question for us to ask is how am I building and taking care of this relationship, this person in this moment? Um, because the instinct for way too many of us and our fallback when toxic when, when we get toxic in our masculinity is that taking and destroying thing that it's all about me it's all about you know we become tom cruise in the first five minutes of magnolia right have you guys seen that movie <laughs> no i don't think i have either. you gotta you gotta talk rambo that's that's more our wheelhouse okay well you watch magnolia it's really good it's very vulgar don't watch it with your children or your hyper conservative mom in the room but like tom tom cruise's <laughs> character is this like He's a pickup artist, right? Okay. And the whole thing's about about uh, you know uh, we're about going and, and taking from women what is rightfully yours, right? Um, as this pickup artist, that is a perversion of the instinct to build and protect, right? Where it's just like, well, I'm going to go steal, right? And it's like, no, that's not the way that we get what we want as as human beings. Yeah. Yeah. So, I hope yeah. I, I, I'm. I kind of lost my own spot right there for a second. <laughs> no, I think, I mean, to me, I, I don't know. This might be the first time I've ever heard it explained uh, or defined this clearly. And mm. I appreciate what you said, too, um, earlier, where people who fly off the handle, and Alex, you were talking about it, too, and, and kind of looking at a person's hobbies and... It's calling that like shooting guns is not toxic masculinity. No. And I think that's important because if we call things like that out or yeah, I was trying to think of another example, but when we call things like that out, that's just as damaging as toxic masculinity itself, because then people are, are stuck and they don't know who they are or what they are or what's acceptable or what's right. Yeah. So football, like you guys had the big thing, like in, as a Canadian, I'm somewhat exempt from this, but, but there was the big thing about locker room talk, right? Yeah. Yep. So football is not, I believe, is not, I believe, an inherently toxic masculine activity. I believe that locker rooms are cultures that can become places where toxic masculinity is encouraged and allowed to thrive, right? And so... So if we, what we need to do is as men step up and take leadership 
in the places where we've been planted, in our workplaces, in our homes, in our locker rooms, and, and especially as young men, and, and to say, wait a minute, is the way that we're talking to and about each other, is the way that we're talking to and about women, is the way that we're talking to and about the world we live in, building and and taking care of those around us. So I think that that like there's nothing inherent about inherently toxic about about shooting guns. But a gun club I imagine could become a pretty toxic place yeah. if to fall off the edge. Yeah. Yeah, Alex is part of a gun club. I'm a part of a gun club and there's sometimes I have to get up and just walk away. Yeah. So and I, and I think that those are so. There's a, a brilliant TED talk by uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but he was. But he's talking a lot about the, these toxic masculinity issues, and he was um, Jay. I forget. I forget the name, but it's a brilliant TED talk. But he but he was talking about how he conducts um, seminars for like college football programs and for the military dealing with sexual assault and. Uh, and toxic masculinity and, 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 uh, and harassment of women and all these things, trying to create a, a more healthy environment. And, um, and he said he was at a party once where someone said to him that, oh, you do sensitivity training for the Marines. And he was very insulted by that because he said, no, I do leadership training. He said, we do not have a, ma we, like, he said, the, our problem with masculinity isn't a sensitivity problem, it's a leadership problem. Hmm. That those of us who know better aren't saying better, and those of us who know better are allowing this toxicity to exist, as opposed to standing up, admitting it in ourselves, and calling it out when we see it in others. And that's going to be a big step forward for us. And not in a way that continues to damage and perpetuate the, the, the sins of the past, but, but to stand up and say, wait a minute, we shouldn't be talking about that human being in the way that we're talking about that human being when we hear, you know, if we're, like if we're on the bus with Donald Trump and he starts going off about stuff, because that's the most public and obvious example, to, to, to rather than just kind of nodding and smiling because that's what we all do in these situations where we're uncomfortable, to have the the you know for lack of a better term balls to stand up and say like no that's not cool man what you're describing is sexual assault and you shouldn't be doing that you know and to do that not just in our in those situations but in our in our you know in, in our locker rooms and in our on our teams and in and in the places where only men are for us to take hold of that and say like wait a minute i don't want you talking about my sister that way i don't want you talking about my mom that way i don't want us to be treating people that way and beginning to make uh, a societal environment where the kind of damage that we're seeing done to women uh, is no longer societally acceptable because there, we have to come to terms. Even if we've never, even if we've never done any catcalling ourselves, even if we've never sexually assaulted anyone ourselves, that that we've participated in environments that have allowed that to happen. Yeah, it's kind of like that mob mentality. When you say locker room talk, I think about being in the hockey lock, locker room playing men's hockey and being subjected to that and being silent in those situations yeah. because you don't want to like, there's a fear of being that guy. Like you don't want to be that guy. You don't want to upset the tribe either. Yeah. Well, that's just it, you know, and we feel small and we feel weak and, and we're tribal animals, you know? So we, we were, you know, if somebody starts acting like the alpha, then we're like, I guess I can't upset the alpha. But the problem is when we know what's right. And this is what we've been called to in Jesus is uh, what we've been called to in Jesus is that, We've been empowered with the Holy Spirit 
to stand up against the forces of darkness, right? And we've been empowered by the Holy Spirit to stand up and say, like, hey, man, that's not cool, and that's not right, and that's not the way that we're going to talk here, you know? And we don't have to be, like, angry and demeaning in the way that we do it, but I think that a couple of words can change the temperature of a room that we're in, you know, for the better. And that hopefully makes it easier for everyone. Yeah, man, he's talking about the locker room thing. And I, I remember one, there was one time uh, uh, in particular where they were, there was this one guy who had a huge porn problem that turned into a strip club problem that turned into a prostitute problem. And yeah. his his whole life was ruined. I mean, his his wife is divorcing him. She's taking the kids and the whole locker room is just like busting up laughing at him. Like, Hey, tell us the one time, you know, you went to the prostitute, but then ran out of money and you went back to the bank and you were so mad that, and he's, he's broken. I mean, he's just absolutely broken. And it was one of those moments where, I mean, the whole locker room's laughing at how, like how, absurd the idea of him going back to the bank taking out more money writing checks and and you know just to get that extra lap dance yeah and him and i connected eyes and i was the only guy in the room who was not laughing yeah and i I saw in his eyes like he looked at me in this like brief moment and almost started to break down and cry, but then he doubled down and kept on with the storytelling, and the, the whole thing just kept on going. And like, I wish I would have said something in that moment. I, we did become, you know, somewhat close after that. He was willing to talk to me, and mm-hmm. like, like you could tell the guy was just completely broken. But mm-hmm. it's just that 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 mob mentality to that tribe. That tribe is uh, that's powerful stuff. <laughs> Well, and I, and I think what you see there is an inability and to, to, to be genuinely weak, yeah. right? Yeah. And we were trying to portray this struggle. So, so there, I, would, I would say that strength is an important part of masculinity, be it physical strength or emotional strength or the ability to be like in Psalm 1, Blessed is the man who uh, who does not walk in the way of scoffers, sit in the council of fools. I forget the way, where it goes, but it says he's like a tree, you know. So there's some there's a strength in standing, right? Yeah. And um, and I think what we fake it so often, and that that the locker room can be a place where there, there's a, there's a real power if if he's vulnerable enough to say, guys, this isn't funny. This destroyed my life, you know. And we all gather around and say, we're going to hold you up and help you out through this time. Or there's a way that that becomes a place of more wounding, right? Because we have to maintain this facade that, oh, we're okay in the midst of our, you know, we're doing great in the midst of tearing our worlds down rather than, rather than stand, than, than somebody standing up and saying like, "Are, are, are we okay in this? And, and what I've found in a lot of environments that I've been, once one person is willing to be vulnerable, then all of a sudden the barriers are down for everybody else. And and it can become like a really healthy place. And But a healthy place for men too isn't going to be the same as a, isn't going to look or sound the same as a healthy place for women. Because we're really, I think a, a super healthy thing that men do when, when it's just us together is tear each other to pieces. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, with like we a gotta verbal... be able to rag on each other yeah. a little bit, with like a verbal roughhousing where we can, you know, where there's a way that that if you're friends with that guy, you're not necessarily getting him to, getting you to tell the war stories, but to be like, so at what point when you're driving to the bank, do you have the argument with yourself that it's like this is a really stupid idea? Like, do you realize it's a re- do you not realize it's a stupid idea until? After you have an orgasm, or is there any point leading up to that point where you're just like, "This is really dumb." Yeah, I can just, I can just, I can just jerk off and get <laughs> like, a, and and save some money, or you know, or I can, you know, so where, go ahead. Uh, so this might open up another can of worms, but like, I'm I'm thinking like, so like whenever I get together with the guys, and Jason and I just recently did this, we had a whole day basically for my birthday party. We just hung out with the guys. Mm-hmm. There was never once any sort of quote unquote locker room talk. No, and I, I mean, I, in all honesty, we were all Christians. Yeah, it was so, a solid. It was a Christian group of guys. So, but at the same time, like, I feel like as men, we have so many other things that we can talk about. That why do why does it immediately have to go to like the the, the quote unquote locker room talk where it's. It's you're 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 demeaning women and you're talking down about other people and like destroying them and destroying people's view of of who women are and whatnot. Like, why do we immediately go? to There's literally so many other things we can talk about. You can talk about yeah. constructive things like you can sit and talk about politics or about how the game went. Right. The game that you just got done playing before you came into the locker room. Yeah. Well, and and. And this is a like, and and I don't know where. Like, I'm just going to step outside the bounds of trying to be politically correct about these, some of these things because I am a bit of uh, a Neanderthal in some of these things. I think the best groups of men are ones that have an outside goal that is dictated to them, right? Mm-hmm. So, I think men that are in the process of building things have better things to talk about, you know. So when I, you know, I have a friend who who is a I have a friend who's a bit of a, a, a who, who who is a womanizer, but um, and he would he would admit that. And but he's a, I wouldn't know if he would call it womanizing because he's with con, other consenting women who are interested in the things that they're anyway. But when I'm with him, we talk about business because he's also a really good businessman, and I don't understand anything about that world. And I think you're right. I think it's easy to find yourself in a place where you're like. I don't ever have these conversations. These conversations must not be happening. But I think part of the, but I think part of being of changing the world is being open to the fact that like we're not in every room at all the time. Right. And, and and I agree with you. I think that it's about that it that it is about talking about literally anything else and and to to talk about what are you building and protecting because because uh, men are also willing to talk about like you know like. Any kind of art or craft or website that you're building or or pottery that you're making or it doesn't have to be this like, you know, tree cutting down competition or, or, or you know. Those are new. fun, though. Those, <laughs> those are really are, fun. Those are totally fun, you know. <laughs> but all of that kind of stuff, right, where it's just like, what do you, you know, those are the ways that we can be interesting for each other, you know. And but I but I think we have to admit that there are places where those conversations are taking place and. And to empower, especially, you know, for those of us who have sons or for those of us who coach teams to be like, you don't have to only talk about that. You know, mm. the, the thing that I mostly don't understand, because we see this we're all on social media, is where are the trolls coming from? 
Under the bridge? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> but like, who is the guy sitting at home? Like, there was an article. Somebody sent me an article that like somebody who worked at Marvel, uh, a, a young woman who worked at Marvel Comics, took a picture of her and some of her colleagues having milkshakes, and they were all women. And a bunch of dudes who felt threatened in their own masculinity that there were too many ladies working at Marvel Comics saw fit to like write messages saying how terrible they were. And I'm like, one, if you're building a thing, you don't have time to do that, yeah, right? Yeah. Build a business or your or an art or a craft or or whatever. You don't have like I just I don't have time to be an internet troll. But but where are these people coming from? Like, do you know, do you have, this is the thing that well, frustrates I, I me. Think, I think you hit the nail right on the head. They're not doing anything. They're bored. So yeah, instead of, instead of building something and working towards something, they, they see like, well, maybe I should just destroy this thing down because it's a lot, it's a lot easier to do that than to build my own thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that that, that's a part, I think that what we can do is we can make sure that the groups that we're a part of, are focused on that building rather than tearing down. Like when I'm around other comedians, it's really easy for the conversation to turn, not even necessarily in a way of tearing down women, but but all of the way, all of the people who are getting too much success in comedy that don't deserve it, right? Which which you wouldn't think of as necessarily a, a masculinity issue, but it is a way. But but I think it's a gateway to that, right? Where you're the conversation is more about like what what are we tearing down rather than what we're building, but. So it really easily falls into that, and I fall into that, and gossipy and all that kind of nonsense. But you can also quickly turn the conversation to be like, so how are we working on our craft? You know, how does this joke work, and why does that joke not work? You know, why does why is the audience responding in this way? And whether it be whatever thing that you're doing, I mean, my dad's a mechanic, so it was like, you know, how do you clean out the the intakes on a on a you know on a you know 54 Chev, you know, like whatever it is you can turn the conversation into, into what are we, what are we building, you know? And, and that's going to take you to an ultimately happier place than, than all of the things that we're tearing down, you know? And, and women is just one example of that. Hmm. Yeah. I like that. I mean, I, I like what you're saying because you've reduced it to building and tearing down and taking care of or destroying people. And it's really simple to understand and it's straight from Genesis. I mean, it's, well, it's, Thanks, Ken Ham. <laughs> no. you know, yeah. I have to do it every time I talk about Genesis. I just think of Ken Ham's. Ken, you know, every every five seconds, Ken Ham reads Genesis as a statistic. I'm sorry, who's Ken Ham? Oh, he's uh, he's an Australian that uh, is living in the states, and he he owns and started the Creation Museum. Oh, and he's he's got like a whole series of books called Answers in Genesis. Oh. So he's kind of like a punchline for a lot of Christians. Oh, is is he's not the guy that like has the YouTube videos where he like goes and argues with people until they agree with him and then leaves still not knowing Jesus. I mean, that's that's a lot of Christian apologi- you, yeah, apologists. Yeah, you, you just explained uh, apologetics. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, other conversation, but yeah, yeah, but yeah, that's the. I mean, it's like I, I do think that there are a lot like not to. Not to to jump onto this guy's side because I don't know if I'm on it, but like <laughs> there are a lot of answers in Genesis, you know. And and would the world be different if we focused more on building and taking care of things rather than taking and destroying, you right. know? Um, you know, like and to to reduce, I, I think, and you know, it is somewhat reductive, but I think to reduce our masculinity to those basic categories 
is a helpful thing for us to do because then we find you know then, then we find ourselves with with a very simple task you know because and that can go in any myriad of directions because I don't think that there are a set of masculine activities I think that there's lots of men who love musicals and you know and that is a you know and uh, you know I'm try or or you know paint or write poetry or I'm trying to think of stereotypically feminine things to do like you know what, uh, like cooking or you know interior decorating i don't know what are some other stereotypically yeah. well, like especially like the men um, the men of like the renaissance and the enlightenment like those were well-rounded men like not only were they yeah. they participated in quote-unquote masculine activities but they were also poets and writers and and painters and other things like that so i, I well uh, oh, go ahead dan yeah. well i just think it's really important that that activities are don't have genders right? yes yeah <laughs> yes do what you want to do. I mean, I think more women are involved in roller derby than men, right? I think that that's a real, that's, <laughs> but but like that, it's not an inherently one way or the other activity. The activities don't have genders. People do, yeah. you know. And and I'm not about to tell women how to be women. I think that that's a really dumb and stupid thing that Christian pastors try to do. Please put down Proverbs 31 before you do damage <laughs> to other people. But. I do think that we can talk about about the best way, the way that our our masculinity and nat- natural instincts do the most good for the most people around us, in accordance with what we've been created to do in Jesus. And and to me, that start like, and none of that is out of line with like loving your neighbor as yourself, you know. And, yeah. And, you know, really, really, like it's it, the the problem is difficult, not complex. I don't believe. Yeah. All I know is a couple of weeks ago, my wife had me pull some pulled pork apart and I can't handle meat. And uh, I actually, I prayed for Jesus to come back. (laughs) I I can't handle that. You can't handle like... That's such a good job. No, I don't do... Like, I can eat meat, but I can't do meat off a bone. Really? Yeah. I mean, we have forks now. Is it necessary? (laughs) <laughs> to like pick up the bone and just eat right off the the dead carcass like that's I, just one of my things i love that job because i always get to i'll like sample the tender parts of the meat first like as i'm pulling it apart oh yeah 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 sorry I, I, I'm, I'm, in getting, on that. I'm getting hungry all over again so so dan so yeah the question now as we as we're kind of wrapping things up is how how do we stop this how do we and how do we not let this thing carry on to our sons? And if we don't have sons like me, I only, I only have a little girl. Like, how do we teach our, our girls to spot this and to call BS on some of this Yeah, stuff? I mean, I've got three boys, so this is really applicable to me uh, from a, the boy aspect. I'm just going to give Ada a gun, and she'll just take care of the toxic masculinity on her own. <laughs> well, I, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I think the first thing we need to do is to is, is to is to to move our like I think it's re- okay so because I have a daughter and I hear from a lot of dads I think our first instinct is to operate out of fear and I think when we're operating out of fear we're not as, at our best as men and we're not using the parts of our brain that get the help us to get the best of out of and for other people right. So when we're operating out of fear, we get the instinct of like, well, I'll give her a gun or I'm going to stand in the front door with a baseball bat or I'm going to, you know, and that doesn't get us where we want to go. What I think we need to do is to move from, uh, and this happens in Jesus, to move from fear into love, 
right? Where, especially for our daughters, we become less frightened. Because biggest thing that I think of in my own parenting of my daughter is I'm not a good dad when I'm worried about what the world is going to do to her. Because mm. I make her afraid and I make her shrink back. And rather than preparing her, I'm just helping her to avoid the world that God has given her. So I need to train myself and her to be wise and uh, to be excited about what she is going to do to the world rather than what the world is going to do to her. You know, But at the same time, training her to, to – the big, biggest thing I can do to help her understand what toxic masculinity is and, and to know the difference is to treat her mom as best as I can. Yeah, and oh, that's to, to, to treat her, uh, to treat other women and treat her mom and my mom and all of the women that I encounter with as much respect as I can, you know, and, and part of that is like my church has women in leadership. We have women elders, we have women at the front, we have, you know, that that's part of the way that we do that. And I'm excited about, um, and I try and train myself to be more excited about what she's going to do the, do to the world rather than what the world is going to do to her. Yeah, um, that's like giving her the empowerment. Yeah, and 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 because I think that that you know you hear the guys that are like you know like like it's sort of the stereotype, but the like when somebody comes to date my daughter, I'm going to be there with my my baseball bat and my you know, or, and and I'm just like, yeah, that's me. Yeah, well, but but I know my my daughter's twelve, so I'm a little bit ahead. But I'm just like, I know I like I have a hunch my daughter's not going to be that interested in stupid boys unless I make one interesting. Yeah. <laughs> well, also, do you think at at the same time the way you treat your, you, especially you, the way you treat your wife, do you think that helps set the standard? Of course, yeah. I think that that's the best thing that I can do, and I think that 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 has way more impact than any kind of conversations that I have with her. You know, yeah, uh, and especially with my daughter, like I also teach her to do things that I think are in some ways stereo. Some people call stereotypically masculine and and are empowering. Like, uh, you know, if you follow me on Instagram, my daughter started a pull cord lawnmower for the first time this summer. You know, like that's a big deal. You know, like at least it is. I think it's a big deal. I think it's really cool. You know, like that's not. I remember feeling like I don't know if you guys went through this, but I remember not being able to start a pull cord engine. You know, and then I was strong enough to do it. So uh, that's the kind of thing that I want to give her, which might be a stereotypically masculine experience, but she's going to know how to cut the grass. <laughs> um, so, and then the other thing with my boys is one, they learn how to treat women by the way that I treat their mom. Um, but also, I try and have conversations with them about, like, you know, how do other people talk? You know, how do how do you talk? How do you? What do you do when you're angry? Do you shrink back in fear? Or do you have to be violent? What do you do when someone's violent with you? What do you have to put up with? What do you not have to put up with? And it's a lot of, it's, it's a not easy, but I think I want them to be passionate about something that they're building and taking care of, whatever that is. Because I think that that having uh, a, a thing that they feel like they have dominion over, you know, I think that that's part of going back to that word is, is building in them the, the capacity to be like, okay, I don't need to hold myself up on the backs of women. I don't need to hold myself up on the backs of other men. I don't need to dominate. Uh, you know, I can be, I can lead without dominating. Does that make sense? I don't know. It, that's no, it's where I'm getting to. 
It does. I was going to ask the question too. What about allowing them to express uh, emotion, like uh, like not saying things like "suck it up, be a man, stop crying," yeah. like stop like, crying. <laughs> with those, I, I don't. Know. I don't feel like I have a good line on that because I do think that there's there is a part where we just want to be tough. Yeah, you know. Like you do, it is important to be like, are you, you know, so, so I'll go up to my son in the soccer field and, and be like, you know, he'll, he's lying on the ground holding his, holding his leg. And I'm like, can you walk? Okay. Then let's walk off the field. Yeah. You know, we're holding up the game, you know? So, uh, you know, I'm mean dad in that way, but I do think that there's an element of like showing emotional distress and pain where, you know, my sons have seen me, you know, you know, I'd, my sons have seen me cry, you know, and we've, I've talked about it where it's just like, yeah, emotional pain is real and happens. Yeah. And I talk about, you know, sometimes I'm sad and sometimes, you know, and, and I try and talk to them as best as I can, which is something I didn't get from my dad just because he didn't have the tools for it. You know, I t- try to talk to them about like, I don't really know how to express the full range of range of emotions. So often when I'm sad, I sound angry. Because that's just know what I know how to do, yeah. you know. And when I'm scared, I act angry because that's what I do when I'm scared, you know. And and to say that you don't have to funnel everything through the filter of anger like I do, you know. Like you can just, it's okay to be scared. It's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to be, you know, sad and and down. So, I, I, yeah, to try and but to not. I guess with my my sons, I'm just trying not to 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 pin them down too much on the realm of ma- to to what masculinity is, but to just demonstrate the full spectrum of what it looks like, you know. And the other thing is, it takes a whole lot of men to do that. The idea that like one, you do that as a father alone, I think is a ridiculous idea. I'm really glad yeah. that my my son has his granddad and ha- has his granddads and has like a bunch of older men in our church. And, and some coaches and other people that I trust that are like, oh, this is what it looks like, too. Yeah, yeah we always important. talk about that with uh, with our boys because I, I am not a hunter. Like, if I, if I do anything outdoorsies, it's either sports or I like hiking and stuff, but it, not a hunter at all. But we have, you know, my father-in-law and my brother is a big-time hunter. And it's like, well, they, they still have people in their life who can, you know, if, if he gets into hunting... I'm going to send them to Uncle Matt because Uncle Matt knows how to hunt or Papa knows how to hunt. Like, yeah. And we can learn together too. Like, yeah. And that's still the, and this is a really important thing to distinguish between that I've found. And this is very non-scientific, but, but men learn best shoulder to shoulder rather than face to face. So we learn best by with someone else approaching a problem together and working through it. And it's in the context of, to me, hunting, working on cars, soccer, all of these are contexts where we're learning side by side how to problem solve, deal with issues, deal with our own emotions, deal with anger, you know, and, and the, the, that's where it becomes important because side by side with other people, we're learning how to be who God has called us to be, you know, because like if I was to sit here and tell you I knew what a man was, I don't, I don't, I don't even know what that means, you know. But I, I have a good idea that what I'm put on here on this planet to do is to is to build and take care of the things that I can as best I can, you know. Mm-hmm. And to 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 limit it to that, and uh, I think we can actually make a difference in that. 
I think that's some solid wisdom. Boom. Like coming from a true <laughs> pastor slash comedian. Yeah. Slash. Slash. <laughs> Canadian. 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 <laughs> so uh, we'll do a picture real quick, but Sweet. Dan, thank you so much, man. No problem. Yeah, this has been really enlightening. Dan Taylor, all the way from Edmonton, Canada. You know, I think I, uh, I think I might feel more like a man now. Yeah, you think so? Yeah. Awesome. I'm, I'm glad. That's kind of like the whole purpose, you know. You know, having this podcast, and, you know, feeling manly, we're having conversations. Yeah. You know, we were beating, beating our chests, and you know, yeah. Not really. <laughs> we, we, we talked with a very awesome gentleman, Dan Taylor, and. Return guest, Jason. Yeah. And so... And we got to talk some hockey, which just made me absolutely giddy. But I just... I, I love the way that he took the time to really define it for us. Because I, I, leading up to this episode, doing my own research, I got lost in definitions, dude. Like, what's what's good? What's bad? What, what can be done? Is that really toxic? Like, And he answered a lot of those questions. Like, hobbies in and of themselves are not toxic masculinities they're hobbies yeah like that's powerful and to call them toxic masculinity like things like shooting guns that's as much as part of the problem as anything else yeah like that's to me that's that really stood out in this interview yeah i mean it was it was great and again a lot of people get hung up on terms and i think the the biggest dis- disservice that we do to one another as a society is when we immediately judge somebody based on the terms that they use and don't let them explain themselves yeah so i mean the the basic building block to communication is to define things and to listen to people when you don't give them the space and you don't listen then you don't know where they're at and you just make assumptions mm, yeah absolutely but you know what we're not going to make assumptions on that we have some awesome feedback coming our way. So, Jason, what feedback do you have for we us? We do. Usually I try to limit these to just like one or two or three, but we got so much from this past week. So, first off... For, from the dream episode? From the dream episode. Ah, uh, yeah. So, Sarah Fader, just, just mention this real quick. In her latest article on Psychology Today, she gave us a shout-out. She did? Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, she was, uh, the article's called Do People Change? And she's recalling an Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt episode and then talks about us talking about that. But I just want to say for all of our, our listeners, like, the interview with Sarah Fader was a lot longer than what we released, and we're going to release it in a couple weeks as a bonus episode. Nice. And I think, like, if you like Sarah and you like the interview, you'll you'll love the extended interview because it just, it's hilarious. It, it goes off topic a lot, but it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, Jen Greenleaf says, oh, she posted a picture of this sign that says, don't let worries kill you, let the church help. Wow, interesting. So yeah, you think of those stupid like church signs and they post things that are supposed to be like either encouraging or to positive, sp- encouraging. Speak to the lost. Yeah. Speak to the lost and get them in the building. Yeah, don't let worries kill you. Let the church help. <laughs> That's brutal. Super brutal. Yeah, the holy heretics. Nice. Um, they said if you want to hear us on at NY Pastors Pulpit Series, 
give me a hell yeah. <laughs> and a lot of people responded with a hell yeah, and they liked it. And keep doing it, because I do want to hear them from a pulpit series. That would be super rad. Yeah. Uh, Phil Britton, who had his dream interpreted on our dream episode, he said, thanks, Sarah Fader, for interpreting my dreams, uh, my dream on Not Your Pastor's podcast. It was spot on. And in a direct message to us, he said, that read me like a book. <laughs> <laughs> so how cool is that? She doesn't even know the guy. Never met him. We read a paragraph of a dream to her, and she was spot on with it in our episode. I mean, so I kind of played this card. So my dad and I were talking about the episode. He hasn't listened to it, but I just kind of told him, you know, Sarah came on and was interpreting yeah. her dreams. And he told me a dream that he had. And I was like, it sounds really similar to the dream that I had that Sarah interpreted. I think that dream's about your insecurities. And I totally just felt like a boss. Like I was like, look at me, the big psychologist over here. That's awesome. Oh, speaking of you, Becky Seville from the Twisted Sisters podcast said, I'm pretty sure Alex is an Enneagram 6. So she set out a while ago to like figure out where you are on the Enneagram. And this was like a perfect episode for it because, like we said, Sarah read us like a book. And... She pegged you as an Enneagram 6. I don't know what that means, but I looked up Enneagram 6 and what celebrities are, and Jennifer Aniston was one of them. And I just think, you guys, you you know, you had that dream with her in the episode (laughs) of Friends, so I thought, you know, maybe there's a connection Uh, because you're both sixes on the Enneagram. Yeah, I I, I refuse to take it just because everybody's doing it, so. Well, you don't have to take it now. You're a six. I, I don't believe it. Well, you don't know even know what a six is. I don't know either. I think it said something about being super loyal. She's like, it makes sense. You two are such good friends since you can identify with each other's health and stress movement. Huh. Whatever that means, buddy. We're good for I each kinda other. I kind of want to take it now just to see if she's right. Well, you're going to have to. She left a, like a little... A little description. We have to pull that up on Twitter. Okay. And then Charlie Porter, he said, I had to stop the car. I was laughing so hard about the friend's dream. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just so funny. And then we just got one more that I want to read. Okay. Right off Twitter. Alexis, she writes, this was so good talking about our episode with Sarah Fader. She said, the chemistry between Sarah Fader and Not Your Pastors is so awesome. Love, love, love them all. Oh, man. So that's, that's just Thanks, super everyone. Cool. And then, you know, Sarah, we got to get her into Michigan so we can hang out with her in person. A live episode with Sarah Fader. Oh, that would be so cool. Three hours later. Yeah, maybe we can do it from an airplane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, uh, Jason, some, peop- some people wrote some things about us. Yeah, yeah, dude. We got some housekeeping things before we, before we clear off. out today. I know it. First of all, our pulpit series. Yes, pulpit series. We've been needing to make an announcement about this. Yes, if you enjoy our pulpit series, and I know a lot of you do, um, we need some more sermons. Yeah, please send them in. We're fresh out. And that goes along, too, with something else I want to say is we got two more episodes, Alex, and then we're taking a little break. Yeah, we're going to take a little hiatus. Um, Jason and I really felt like, hey, we're, we're gaining a lot of momentum here. We need to work on the show and try and figure out how we can make it better. 
Yep. So we're going to make some tweaks to the show. Alex and I aren't really taking a break. You're just not going to hear a podcast for us for a while. And in that time, I'm going to release a couple of bonus episodes like the full Seraphader and probably this interview with Dan. Some of the stuff that gets edited out of of this episode will... Like the healthcare conversation. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Before we even started, we we had a whole conversation about... Like 15, 20 minutes about healthcare. Yeah. So... And yeah, Canadian so, versus American healthcare. What do, so, what do you guys think about that? I don't know. Yeah, so we'll release that as a, a full episode, but I'm excited to kind of take some time and revamp our podcast a little bit. I'm already starting to line up interviews for the fall, and we've got some awesome ones coming. I am super excited to bring some of these guests. Yeah, on. it's gonna be. It's gonna be as they say, Jason. It's gonna be a hoot. Uh, a hoot, huh? <laughs> <laughs> All right, buddy. So uh, we just got off the Skype call with Dan Taylor, and you know he's he's up there in Canada, and we're down here in Michigan. There's there's a universal language, yeah. That the three of us speak. If you could send one message in that universal language to Dan Taylor, what would that be? Dan, are you listening? Can you hear me, Dan? Always keep your stick on the ice. Thank you.